You're listening to Critical End, episode number 97. The episode... It's over! Cheer up. Okay. I will say though, I I I had a sense of, um. I won't say loss, but it's going to be a little bit. Well, it's it's a, it's kind of cool that this that Harry Potter had eight movies over the course of whatever it's been like more than ten years. Uh, we have gotten to uh, to watch these kids grow up on screen, and like what other what other like movie series has eight movies with the same actors in it? Um, Saul. It was great watching Tobin Bell grow up. Yeah. Over that decade, right. from a feisty young college kid to old Gramps, eh. as he's known in Saw Eight. Um, They're not, it's not quite as connected as the Harry Potter, but okay, fine. And there's only really one guy who's in all of them, isn't there? No, no. I mean, Saw wasn't even a real example, honestly. Like, there's only right. seven of those. Uh, and uh, though technically, I, th- I think thinking about Saw, those seem like a more all those movies match. While Harry Potter, I, I still stand by the fact that it's a completely uneven series. Well, uh, you, right. when you watch the movies, I, the books, you know, play a different story. Honestly. Of course. Uh, but never fear, Ryan, because I'm sure that Warner Brothers will find a way to make Pottermore into a movie at some point, yeah, uh, would, starring I, you. <laughs> I would not put that uh, put that uh, you know uh, past them. I feel like you could I, um, like some sort of character created for that website will eventually get a book and a movie or something. Dear, I uh, I, I know that um, I, I'm not positive on this, but I'm pretty sure she never she said she never revisited the Harry Potter world. Uh, or I think she said that story was told. No, so she said there wasn't going to be any more. Okay, books. there we so flat out then there's no more Harry Potter books. Yeah. Um, he didn't say I'm not gonna do a website called Potter. Um, no no no, I'm not yeah, I'm not even I'm out, I'm beyond the website now. Oh. We're back we're back in the book world. Okay. Uh but I can see her pulling a Kevin Smith on us and going back to that at some point. Uh, and I think Pottermore Pottermore is a kind of proof of that. It seems like now she's just looking for ways to to not I'm not gonna say make money off of it because she has more money than she'll ever need, but to still do Harry Potter stuff. Because uh, they didn't they say she was writing all sorts of new uh, stuff for Potter more Potter more well Potter, more Potter please well, <laughs> more Potter please well I actually never thought of that I'm sure that's exactly what it means more Potter okay, anyway um, <laughs> what what you think <laughs> well I just thought it was a cute name I don't know Logan I don't think about things <laughs> wait ask of Harry Potter Logan huh okay. um. No, I, I, uh, now I don't know what I was gonna say. Thanks to your outburst, which was uncalled for, sir. No, you're still, you're still really at the fact that it has to do with Harry Potter. I oh, think. I, yeah. Uh, I remember. She said after the seventh book that the only other Harry Potter thing she might do book form wise would be a um, cool. uh, encyclopedia. Type. Exactly, and I think this is going to be that. It's except a web version of that. I think, uh, yeah, they might get around to seeing a book. Uh, based on this web version, who knows? It might be, you know, the guide to Pottermore, that That's sort of possible. thing. Where uh, they would put all this stuff, that this encyclopedia stuff she's been talking about in there. But, you know, technically, Beetle Bard was related to Harry Potter, yes? Yeah, that's true, that's true. That's a, and it was for charity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. See, you can't, you can't write that off, though. Okay, all right. Because um, I, I did this show for charity. 
Ah, that's what oh. I keep telling you, yes. But no, okay, so this week, uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows part... Uh, there was a point when I just, like, mixed... I forgot what movie I was watching. Uh, Harry Potter and Deathly Hollows part two, right? Hallows, yes. Deathly Hollows oh, part two. Um... Okay, so where do we lead off? Lead off? Leave off? Where do well, we leave? last time on Harry Potter. Lead us off, Ryan. Um, Harry uh, is uh, still still dealing with Dumbledore's death. Uh, he uh, is definitely uh, hunted by um, all the Death Eaters. He's, he's in great danger as Voldemort uh, takes further control over the magical world. His agents are in the Ministry of Magic, working against him. And uh, at this, uh, this is all in the previous movie, mind you. The um, spell that keeps him safe at his aunt's house is about to wear off, so the uh, Order of the Phoenix shows up. All our characters that we all know from the last movies show up to uh, guard him as they take him to a secret location uh, so that Death Eaters can't get to them. On the way, Mad-Eye Moody dies. That's troubling. And uh, so Harry is sort of on the run. Um, Death Eaters, the Death Eaters are able to sort of track him, so he's got to be on the run. That's mostly a movie of camping. Uh, they break into the ministry and find one of the Horcruxes at one point. Not sure how to destroy it. Finally, they do. Um, and then they have to destroy the others. Now, in the midst of this, although this was mostly minimized in a big way for the movie, uh, Harry's sort of questioning Dumbledore because he learns things about Dumbledore that Dumbledore never told him. Um, and so he start, starts feeling like maybe he's being used or maybe Dumbledore wasn't as great of a guy as he thought he was. Uh, ends with them getting captured and sent to the Malfoy uh, mansion uh, where they're almost killed by Bellatrix the Strange, but, or Bellatrix, but they escape at the last minute thanks to Dobby, who dies in the process. And it ends with um, Dobby being buried, a sad moment, as simultaneously Voldemort uh, uh, finds the Elder Wand, which all along was the wand of Albus Dumbledore himself. So he breaks into the grave, he takes the wand. Now Dumbledore, Voldemort's more powerful than ever, and Harry is, as, is more behind than ever, and it's all sad. Leading in, it's, it's the, you know, it's the Empire ending, the um, the Empire Strikes Back mm-hmm. ending, leading into the Return of the Jedi, uh, that is supposed to be Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2, which is the movie we are reviewing today. Okay. Um, well, I completely forgot about most of that. I knew that uh, Dobby died. Yeah. Um, and I think now that it's all said and done, for me, that was a sad death in the entire film series. Um, and it seems like it shouldn't have been that way either. Um, based on who, you know, who I know who also died. Especially a lot of deaths in this movie, I don't think they were handled as well as they should have been. Yes, I agree. Uh, um, there's like one or two pretty big ones, and granted, these are characters that have, uh, you know, we're, we're outside the books now, okay? These are characters that have appeared throughout the film series, but they just, it seems so quick. Can Everything was moving along. I, um, I feel like we can be spoilery in this episode, because it's based on a book that you've probably seen if you've seen the movie, and also, no one's going to listen to this if they haven't already seen the movie. That's a good point. Uh... But uh, uh, one of Ron's brothers dies, um, and I felt that's almost like glossed over. Like the camera kind of pans past his body too. We don't even uh, get like, the, the yeah, this was a thing. The reaction of like, I forget which one died. I think it was Fred. We don't yeah. get George's reaction about Fred dying, which is I think they're both would have liked crying. Some, yeah, right, right. Um, and granted, that leads to like his mom and gives her motivation for like you know wanting to kick some ass after that. Uh, then um, let me both think. Lupin and Tonks. Yes, yeah, once again, kind of a, we see them laying on the ground, and the camera just pans by them. Um, they're like, hey, instead, look at all this destruction going on at Hogwarts. Um, but that's, 
this, uh, I guess, is both the movie's fault and it's, it benefits from this, too, because uh, this movie's paced really well as far as how quick it's moving, um, which is, like I said, good and bad. It's good for that reason. The movie moves on really fast. I not long know it was like well over two it hours. It doesn't feel like it's two and a half hours, yeah. Exactly. This, uh, this hurts it, though, because things like what I just mentioned are tossed aside, including an incredibly rushed ending as well, uh, I thought. Um, but I, I know that you had said, I'm, I'm getting back to this now. I, you know, I'm always about separating the movies from the book, but I'm getting back to this because you're kind of the, you've been, and we've reviewed all these on Critical Limb before, the expert on Harry Potter. Uh, but you, I remember you telling me the whole 19 years later stuff, to you felt rushed and kind of stuck on the end. Yeah. Um, too. So, uh, as a huge fan of the, um, of the series of books that these films are based on, what did you think? I know that uh, you gave the last one a nine, I believe it was. Is that right? Like your favorite Harry Potter movie today? I might have, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I did. Uh, this did not live up to my expectations. Okay. Um, I liked it. I thought it had a lot of good parts, but I thought that you're right. The ending was was not handled particularly well. Um they changed a few things from the book, but that's okay. It's just that's not the issue. The issue is that they failed to really give anything that happened at the end the time to breathe and the weight that it deserved. Um, like the the cool thing, Neville Neville like killing the snake and all that stuff with Neville was done pretty well. Like so, I guess if the whole movie was the whole series was about Neville, good job. <laughs> right. In actuality, Wait, it wasn't? It's, it's about Harry Potter, and so we didn't really. Like there's there's a lot of great dialogue and back and forth during the duel at the end between he and Voldemort that they cut out. Um, also at the end, the entire school is watching that happen, whereas in the movie it's just he and Voldemort, which is probably a creative choice. But it's it lost a lot of impact and just seems sort of random. Like it, they never really explain. Well, they do, but they explain it um, in the book, and I might be remembering this wrong, but I think I'm not. They explain. Um, why Voldemort doesn't have the Elder Wand and Harry kind of does um, during that fight. He's like sort of cleverly explaining it as he beats Voldemort. Wait, so Voldemort learns it himself? Yeah, he learns it from Harry telling him. Ah, see, I would have liked that. Yes. Because in the movie, he never actually finds out about that. Exactly. Whereas He's just this, like, what? It failed me. Right. It's like a denouement of like, anyway, right. that's why that worked. Um, so that was a lot weaker. I thought that... Um, there was not enough sort of like – there wasn't enough – well, there wasn't any sort of um, uh, resolution. It was it was like the climax, which was a little bit weak, and then there wasn't like – you really need a couple of shots of all the people we knew from the series like enjoying the fact that That's everything right. was fine now. That's the Return of the Jedi celebration scene at the end. There were no Ewoks, where, exactly. Yeah, well, they, well, you know, he even like went back and added more of this because people liked that he kind of panned across the different universes one or the different planets, and showed all of them celebrating from that we've seen from the past films. You know, then later on when he went, he added even more plants. He's like, here are the plants from like the first three episodes that no one liked. Yes. Um, I we I kind of wanted that here. I wanted like all these characters like giving Harry the thumbs up. You know, not that exaggerated, obviously. Uh, but you know, like the way to go, Harry, you save the day, that sort of thing. But instead, we get just kind of like the three of them looking off, uh, and then it moves to nineteen years later and once again we get the three of them looking off and i'm like okay i you know i wanted something bigger here yeah you really um, needed somebody to like, say hey isn't it great that voldemort's dead show us the harry potter world and and you know and how this like happen how this pleases everybody i guess and yeah this is a big closer i don't, I don't know i almost felt uh, this is a i i picked the worst one out of my head goblet of fire that's my least favorite film right i agree and I remember the closing of that was just kind of like this gigantic, beautiful shot of like Hogwarts with like think the sun going down or something. If I if I remember this, one of them ended this way for sure. 
And I was thinking that was almost a better ending than what we got in this movie. Um, I just like that they're like, let's close in the Harry Potter world now. But instead, you know, we sure we had these three characters the whole time, but it was so like restricted. It's like here they are at some station that you kind of saw in the first movie, and that was about it. Yeah. Um, and I also like this side note that uh, 19 years from now, the hot haircut will still be the Justin Bieber haircut. Yeah, that's they didn't do a great job of that. He didn't. He looked like he was wearing old age makeup. They didn't. Yeah, he, see, okay, that's yeah, the the uh, I was talking about his son actually, which. Uh, uh, but the, the okay, oh, that, that was yeah. yeah. This is a you know a minor complaint. I can't count off too much of the film just for this. Uh, but knowing that they reshot it, I kind of want to. Um, like they really didn't do too much to them. It seems they they kind of like maybe elongated their faces. But the only one that was really noticeable was Ron. They're like Ron's a little fat. That's it. Yeah, Ron was fat. We gave Jenny hips, mm-hmm. and that's but no one else. Like uh, Harry yeah. and Hermione looked pretty much the same. I don't remember Hermione having any lines. Like that was that's so. About- I felt like in uh, post they were kind of like they didn't want to insult the actors, you know, like well, you know, we're basically telling these kids, uh, these like uh, nineteen, uh, twenty-year-old kids, what they're going to look like nineteen years from now. Nineteen, twenty-year-old millionaires. I think they'll get yeah, over right. it. We don't want to depress them too much, okay? We've already led Daniel to the booze. That's uh, right. So that's he's always, that was actually how he really looks now. He's just drunk <laughs> all the time. Remember the? Uh, I could. I guess I could Google and find these. But remember the original pictures that snuck off and said, didn't they seem to, like have wrinkles? Yeah, they looked more old than this. Yeah, yeah, they actually had old age makeup on it. Seemed. Or this, they were just kind of like, eh, you know, we'll just do some posts to their face, and that'll be about it. I mean, they'd only be like thirty-five. It's not really that old, right, but right. still. But I still a lot older than I want. I, I don't know. I want them to look old. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that would at least. The, I wanted the feeling that time had passed, and all we got was that was, was them like, oh, here are my kids. That was well, it. let's not stick to just the ending here. The other thing, Ryan, uh, you know, I've. My big complaint point with all these films, for the most part, yeah. uh, starting with the third one on, because the first and second one, I knew everything that was going on. I was happy with the results. Uh, from the third one on, there was, I felt there was so much cut out that like I almost had to know the books to know what was going on. Uh, this is uh, a big problem with the third one. The fourth one, I think, it reached like maximum overload. Critical mass, yes. Because I was like, what, huh? Uh, the fifth and sixth one, though, I remember being happy with the fifth one because I kind of got back to where I was. Exactly. Uh, same thing with the sixth one. And my big complaint about uh, the seventh one, the last uh, part one of this, uh, was that it just kind of, by that point, I, there was, it had reached a happy medium. Like, I knew for the most part there are a few things that were a little weird, but um, I, I don't want to jump right into this yet because this is basically my review of the, the final film. Uh, but that wasn't the problem, I guess, with this part two, I guess I should say. There were a few things like that. Um, but for the most part, and my final review comes down to this, Ryan, uh, I think at some point along the line, the Harry Potter series reached this like happy medium of mediocrity uh, for me. And at that point, uh, at some point when I sat down to watch this one, it was like five or ten minutes in, I knew that nothing at all was going to surprise me, and there wouldn't be anything out of the ordinary. Because it'd be everything that a Harry Potter sh- movie should be by this point. Um, and that's exactly all it was. Uh, it's the same reason I think uh, you know the series like like the Saw films, for instance, all got the same rating for from me. Um, the Harry Potter films, while being like uneven, the, after like the last like three or four have just completely matched each other. I thought to the point that it's like I can't even tell them apart. I, just, um, I, just, I don't really know what you're talking about, but okay. Yeah. Well, I I think just that's it. I think at some point the Harry Potter uh, films like. They ceased uh, trying to surprise me in any means because it, they just everyone started looking the same. They started like trying to keep them the way it was. Well, the first two, and you know, say what you want about the third one, but even the third one like tried to do something different, and um, so much of you know what we've seen from here has been based on the third one. But like they stopped trying to do all that at some point, and it's like aesthetically, yeah. Here, here is another Harry Potter film, um, and it's everything I've expected from a Harry Potter film from the from the color tone to the acting and everything. Um, and like plot wise, I just you know I was kind of along for the ride. I guess it was kind of like okay, this is happening now, and this is happening now. 
I don't know. It's the same review I gave the last one, I guess. Uh, that Harry Potter films just, uh, it's not beyond me, but it's, I feel like it's nothing special to rush out for, nothing exciting uh, like it once was. So uh, this one lands at another five from Logan, which is what I gave part one to, for that matter. Okay. It's not a bad film. It's just kind of right middle of the road, I think. Well, I think that if you, if you were excited at all by the first one, then this is, it's not quite the, the payoff it needs to be. I think that, um, I, I, there's a lot that was cut from the book, obviously, but I think the stuff they cut, they cut, they sort of cut in the wrong place. Well, I don't know. I mean, there's, I don't know. I honestly think that for as for as long as this movie was, and it did not feel long, I give it credit for that. I feel like the action that contained within, I would have just rather had one three-hour movie. I don't know. Yeah. But the thing is that the stuff that um, makes Harry Potter the seventh book feel like an ending is that they after first of all the the battle is much more interesting, but then. Oh, I had to at least mention this though. Is uh, my one of my favorite lines from the book is cut out, and also that whole this, this is where I sort of started losing the movie. Is when this was cut, and that whole scene got switched around. Is Maggie uh, Smith who plays McGonagall? I really love her, and she does have some good moments in this movie. She does, yes. Um, which is great because she was in the first movie a lot, and then was always sort of like, oh, maybe I'll have one scene, and now she got sort of right. a chance to redeem it. Um, the I was so looking forward to her giving my favorite McGonagall line, which is in the book. Uh, and I obviously, I'm just comparing this because I just have to mention it as a fan. It's like I'm, I can't count off too much because I mean, like you can't count off the movie for not being exactly like the book. Right, exactly. Yeah. But it's I think a whole this, other thing. Right, but this goes to show where the movie sort of faltered by glossing over things. Is that um, there's a scene where uh, Slughorn, Jim Broadbent's character, who didn't even need to be in this movie. I don't know why they bothered with him. Same thing of Emma Thompson. They're like one line or one scene. I know. One, they yeah. no lines. They panned across her. I was actually That's wondering right. if it was her. I was like, did they get her back? Is that her? <laughs> Yeah, they could have got someone else, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they—it's right after Snape disappears, and who she had no—he had no reason to disappear in this case because they, no one was really standing up to him very much. But um, he disappears, and then she's McGonagall says something along the lines of, "All right, we have to get ready for a fight." And then Slughorn says, "Are you sure that's wise? I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe we should, you know, maybe we play along for at least a little bit." Blah blah blah. And she goes, uh, "You know, Professor Slughorn, it's time for Slytherin to decide where its allegiances lie." And I was like, "This is great! Like you're like calling out Slytherin for always being obviously evil, but right. saying that it's like okay, now we're all in this together." Um, it's a great line, great moment for the character in the movie. She sends all the Slytherins to the dungeon. I was like, this "Yeah, which is, is great." Like, but I like how they all go too. They're just like, "Hey, you one guy, take all this these people to the dungeon," and they all just follow him. They're like, "Okay, I guess we're going to the dungeon." And to be fair, it's sort of hard to parse the meaning because their their dorms are in the dungeon, so maybe she just meant okay. go back to your home. But like, it sort of reads as you know, not we're all going to work together, but you guys should go away. We all hate yeah, you. Yeah, you're the villains, right? Which is sort of the opposite uh, of the point of the ending of that movie, which is know. that no matter where you are, you could be a good person. Well, this leads me to Draco. Um, I don't know how this is in the book, but he kind of just like walks away with his family. I'm not sure what that was supposed to mean at the end of this. And yeah. at the very end, we see him on the platform of Harry Potter. Like, they're old buds now or something? Or is that to tell us that like, things never change? Like, yeah, he just walked away from that fight, but now he's like his son's revving up for another one or something like that. Um, no, that- it's supposed to mean that like at the end, he chose not to fight for Voldemort. I, I don't, in the book, I don't think he necessarily... Maybe he does walk away. I forget. Exactly. They, well, like, that, that's the, a, a ball she dropped in the book too, because I was hoping Draco would get a chance to be redeemed after not, not like not, um, not killing Dumbledore and also not calling out Harry when they're captured. Right, right. I no, thought that was leading up to redemption, and never did. There's a few points where that Draco, like I'm towards the end here, especially like when Harry saved him during the fire and whatnot. Right. I'm like, okay, cool. So uh, him and Draco are going to lead to some point here where maybe he'll actually like help Harry in this final fight or something. 
But instead, his family just walks away too. Like I don't know. It's, it would have been one thing if Draco just walked away, but his like his mom and his dad, who'd been big uh, like proponents of uh, uh, bad. Baltimore, yeah, are all like, okay, let's just leave, and they just walk like all across a bridge or something and leave. Well, that makes sense because Lucius uh, had had been had like failed him a billion times, so he was not in good graces anymore. And also, they had taken his wand, and uh, the mom, you know, just cared about whether Draco was safe. She was like upset that Voldemort was putting him in danger. So that part of it makes sense. Okay, so like to them, they're just like, there's nothing left for us here. Yeah. Okay. But then years later, he's is he friends with Harry, or is he just on the platform too? He's on the. I mean, in the book, it's like they're 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 acquaintances, but they don't they're not friends. Okay, there seems to be like a nod or something at the end. Yeah, they, they know each other. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, but they're not like they're not enemies anymore, but they're also not friends. Okay, and then uh, the other thing is, do we see Hagrid get like captured at some point in like the last movie, or is that just all? Because to me, it, they just showed up in the woods, and he's like, oh, we called Hagrid at some point. No, it's just assumed. It's kind of assumed in the book too. He just is there. Okay. They captured him at some point during the battle, the early part of the battle. Okay. And also, why Dumbledore's brother? What did that have to do with anything? Aberforth is set up a lot more in the books. He, um, there's it seems like, like they find him just to get back to Hogwarts, and that's it. Yeah, that is it. Also, they sort of drop the ball. You have to, you have to remember the first movie um, of the series. Well, they didn't call back to it in the second one, but there's a part in the first movie, and there's several parts in the, fir- in the seventh book where – sorry, not the first movie, but the first part of the seventh movie – um, where he looks into that mirror that Sirius gave him, the broken piece of it, and sees a flash of what he believes to be Dumbledore's eyes. So okay. he thinks Dumbledore's still watching him. Then at the end, we find out that it was actually Aberforth watching him through the yes. other half of the mirror, and that's how he's able to know that he needed help. Um, that's how he was able to... They didn't make this clear at the movie at all. So Aberforth sees they need help through the mirror and tells Dobby to go apparate into the Malfoy house and save them. That's how Dobby knows to go do it. Okay. Uh, um, anyway, but Aberforth runs that pub, and he appears in a lot of the books, but they don't really um, – they don't call out that he's Dumbledore's brother, but it's – everyone thought that was the case, and at the end she revealed that that was the case. So. Okay, and how did um, Black know where to send, like, the doe thing to? Who, Snape? Yeah, yeah Snape, yeah, to, to send the deer. Um, or does it just, like – is it one of those magical things where it just knows where to go or something? No, Snape was in the woods. I don't remember if they explained how he found them. Uh, he would have had we, to have somehow followed them. Oh, he might have been able to follow them because he was a member of the Order of the Phoenix or something like that. Well, they do the, like, you know, he looks into his memories and they do this big reveal of all this stuff. It's funny because they try to stretch it across the whole series but didn't quite work uh, because it seemed like, all the great I read, you know, the actor, he was apparently told early on by Rowling about what to, where his character play, was going. Yeah. yeah, but it's really just they come down to, oh, here's a nod from the first movie where he was aware of all this, you know. it's Those kind of things I wasn't really buying into. It kind of goes to how the movie wasn't matching at all, uh, or how the movies don't match at all. Alan um, Rickman gave his A game, though, to be fair. No, no, he really did, and he was like one of the best. Although I felt his, uh, I, although he really just had like one monologue in this movie, and that was about it. Uh, it was really kind of exaggerated at this point, because when he, when he has them all in the Grand Hall, and he's giving them the speech, it's like there's a pause after every word. Yeah. I'm like, okay, the, you've really kind of reached, reached it by this point with the character. Um, but no, yeah, when we see all that, you know, Dumbledore tells them or whatever, and he, he like uses his spell to send out the deer. And it just—that's the same deer we saw appear to Harry in part one. Yes. Um. No. No. Wait. What? No. You're thinking of. I'm sorry. You're thinking of the stag in part three. That's unrelated. That was no, Harry's no, no. Patronus. That's who he sent. I oh, no, he oh. Sent you mean part one of? Sorry. The part, part one, one of yes. seven. Yeah. That was the right, deer. Right. Yes. Sorry. Yes. So he just knew Harry was there. Like the spell knew where to find him or something. No. Snape was there, and then he used his Patronus to lead Harry from wherever he saw Harry to the river where he had put the sword. When from. was he there? Hmm. When was he there? When they were there? 
Yes, presumably. I don't know how he found them. It might be explained in the book. Okay. Okay, that's just from a movie. He standpoint. needed to get Harry the sword, so because he knew the sword could kill right, the, right. I got that the stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I figured that out. I didn't know how he knew where Harry was or if the magic just was Yeah, magic. it might have been explained in the book. But it's he was in the woods itself. Okay. It's out of sight. A few other questions too, but none of that was that important, because for the most part I knew what was going on in this one. Well let me ask you this though. Did you get what Dumbledore's plan was all this time and that kind of did it actually come across? See, Dumbledore uh, here's how it worked for me. One, let me uh, preface this by saying that I knew all this stuff through you mostly. Uh-huh. Uh, this is what comes when you live with Ryan when the last Harry Potter book comes out. Um, but it's not like, you know, it wasn't, uh, I didn't think it was any big secret or anything like that, honestly. Because, you know, the, what we, we were, uh, the book's been out four or five years now, right? Right. Um, but here's the way I read it into the movie, okay? And this is when I got a bit confused. The way I read it from the movie standpoint was that uh, Snape is actually kind of the good guy here. Uh, I mean, granted, we, he has his motivation for kind of being jealous because every time he looks at Harry, he sees, like, you know, the love he never could have had, et cetera, et cetera. Right, right? also sees his father who he hated. Right, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but the, he finds out that Dumbledore is really just kind of, like, leading on Harry. Like, I think he even uses the, the term, like, a pig to a slaughter or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, and which, in turn, sitting in the audience not knowing about any of this before, makes uh, Dumbledore seem like a bad guy. Because for, what, seven years now, he's just kind of been stringing Harry along, knowing that he's going to die at some point. Right. While Snape is the one who's like, no, hold on, you can't do this. i got to do this right now and warn him. Um, and so he tries to, like, do this all this stuff to try and help him out in a way. However, after that, Harry Potter has this whole death scene, and Dumbledore suddenly gets his best friend again. He's like, oh, I'm old Dumbledore, you know, you can't, can't stop the music. Um, and that was kind of a weird, quick reversal for me. I'm like, wait, so Dumbledore's cool again and everything? Right. That's what I thought you were going to say, okay. because that's very right. confusing. Um, so the they didn't make it clear that everything... So Snape is it has interest in keeping Harry alive because... Dumbledore says to do it, and because he'll kill Voldemort and all this stuff. Um, but he doesn't want to help Harry any more than he has to. But Dumbledore specifically told him to to do the stuff like go give him, make sure he gets the sword. Like everything Snape does to help him, Dumbledore said to do. Um, also, uh, that, it, I, that that is a really cool scene where Snape, even though he doesn't like Harry, is shocked that Dumbledore would would purposely lead him along for seven years to kill him. And you're supposed to feel like Harry feels kind of betrayed at that point, but he's also like, well, I accept my destiny, right? Right. Then when um, when uh, uh, Voldemort kills Harry, he, we get this scene with him at the train station. Also, was it clear that, that, was, that he was in like sort of a shared mind space with Voldemort there? Because he had the Voldemort baby thing that we only see once in the movie, but it's mentioned a lot in the book. No, I never figured that was right, the case well. at all. I figured it was in like Harry's world that he'd made or something so here's what that's supposed to be so when harry had to die quote unquote to get the rid of the last horcrux which is in him right right okay more questions about that go ahead okay so uh dumbledore knows harry has to die but he also suspects that because harry is connected to the horcrux harry will be able to come back and so will voldemort you know uh the, the, the the vault the the horcrux is keeping voldemort alive uh, but it's also connected to to Harry, and Harry can't die until Voldemort dies because he's a Horcrux. I don't know. I forget the actual order of events there. But point being, Dumbledore has a, has basically knows that Harry will survive it, but he can't tell anybody because Harry can't know that he will survive it because it won't work unless Harry makes the decision that he's ready to die. Okay. So if he if Harry knows he's coming back, he can't make the decision that he's going to actually give everything up and die. Right. Now, he clearly makes that decision in the movie. Right. However, I had no clue whatsoever why he came back. Um, 
there's nothing like he finds like he, or he gets the resurrection stone. It's like a bad video game, uh, which grants him another life. I guess I don't know. I thought all that stone did was let him see those dead people around him. That is correct. Okay, so then how? Well, I guess you pretty much just explained it to me. But there's no indication whatsoever in the movie where he's just like, "Up, oh, now you're back to life." Or you never. It's almost funny. It, it's almost like he's faking it. Like Haggard's like, "Don't wake up yet." So what just happens? Wait for it. Is there's a there's a combination of events, and I'm probably gonna remember part of this wrong, but. Partially it's because he has a horcrux, so part of Voldemort's soul is inside him, and Voldemort, I don't know, can't kill that or something. But he kills the horcrux, but they're still they, it sort of knocks both of them out, which you see. Like, there's no explanation in the movie for that either. But like both Voldemort and Harry go down because um, Harry's been struck by Voldemort, but Voldemort also just struck one of his horcruxes, right? Right. Then, which, which Voldemort doesn't even know Harry's a horcrux. Right. Then um, there's that whole thing about because of... Because of the thing they share, because he's a Horcrux, that's why you know Harry could speak parcel tongue and all that stuff. Um, because they have a shared power, that's why there are def- par- different parts in all the movies where he can't hurt him or can't touch him, like in the first movie, um, when you know, remember Voldemort's part of Quarrel and he tries to touch him but he can't because it burns. But why can't touch him? Because they they he can't hurt him because they share some kind of connection. But so, he hurts him at the end. But at the end, he doesn't. He's still alive. So he. He right, ends up hurting so himself, did, in other words. Yeah, so why didn't he kill him in one of the other movies, then? What do you mean, why didn't he kill him? I mean, if he could have... You're saying, like, he couldn't touch him at all, though, but he could. It just hurt him when he did. Well, later, um, later when he gets resurrected with a new body at the end of the Goblet of Fire, he can touch him again. But they still have a shared link. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So, when he kills him, it doesn't actually kill him. It just knocks both of them out. And, you, and inside, you can see uh, the sort of, like, shared... They're in sort of a, a shared space that they both um, they both share because of this weird connection. So Harry's there, and also this weird baby is what's left of Voldemort's soul, is still actually alive. Right. Um, and Harry is offered the choice in the book of whether he wants to go forward and just go ahead and die, or whether he wants to come back. And coming back will bring Voldemort back too, but he comes back in order to kill him, essentially. Actually, so I think Voldemort why, will come back anyway. I think that's what happened. Why is Dumbledore there? Does Harry just bring him into his world? Dumbledore is is uh, that's left unclear because they had there is that line which is in the book of like is this actually happening or is this in my head and he says in your head it doesn't mean it's not real. Um, it's it's basically <laughs> a manifest, yeah. it's a manifestation of well okay I don't know they, they don't really explain okay. it but right, right. the way I, I, I took I, it was it was a manifestation of Harry uh, Harry's perception of Dumbledore guiding him in this time. Okay. Interesting. Well, uh, rating from you for the final Harry Potter movie. I gave it a 7. I thought it was missing some things that I was a little upset about, but I thought what was there was fairly well executed, and um, it just is lackluster compared to like one of my favorite Harry Potter movies, my favorite, which was the one that came right before it, so I wish it had been a little bit better. Well, in the end, uh, I would. this is a series I'd watch again. I'd watch the first two, and I'd probably get halfway through the third one and turn it off, uh, because it would remind me of everything to come, I think. Um, but based on the way I'm supposed to do movies or series of movies, like, you know, the first one I rate below a five out of 10, I stop. And with that in mind, I should have stopped at the, after the fourth one. Um, cause I think I get that one a four out of 10. Fifth I think and you sixth were one are easily better though. Yeah. The fifth and sixth one, it, like it moves, it instantly moves up just from the fact that they got a haircut. Yeah. Like it's amazing how much that solves. Um, but yeah, okay. That's that. Any, uh, movie theater experience here of Harry Potter? Cause I, you know, played pretty packed houses. Um, there were some people kind of chatting during the opening, but then they, they stopped. So it wasn't, a, it wasn't a bad experience. There was a lot of people there. They were all sort of into it and cheering and things. It all worked out. <clears throat> Mine too. Uh, you might have saw that. Oh, laughter at the old age makeup, though. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, I got odd laughter at the little uh, Voldemort baby thingy. 
Well, that's a little weird, yeah. I think that's a little, that's that awkward, like, paranormal activity of laughter, you know? Like, mm-hmm. this is kind of freaky, so I have to, it makes it all okay. Um, okay, so uh, I think, you know, by this point, Ryan, you might know that uh, this uh, second Harry Potter film, biggest opening of any movie ever, right? Right. Okay, well, what I just read today was kind of kind of shocking. Uh, after uh, its initial week, um, and Captain America opened, which we'll, you'll hear about in our next podcast, um, it actually now holds a record for the biggest drop of any movie ever. <laughs> um, it dropped uh, like an amazing 75%, I think it was, or something like that, uh, which is pretty much the, like, the Twilight effect. These are movies that, at this point, they're so front-loaded. Everyone rushes out and sees them right away because this is what they've been waiting for. Yeah. But all those people seeing it right away are the only people that are really going to see it. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened here. Uh, so, yeah, uh, the final Harry Potter film now holds a record for the biggest opening ever and the biggest drop of any uh, movie ever, too. Wow. But, I mean, it's so many more than God, so... Oh yeah, no. It's uh, I think they already said like it's uh, well on its way to becoming the top-grossing Harry Potter film. Also, the uh, criti- most critically received Harry Potter film too. It's gotten the best uh, reviews so far. I right. mean the Harry Potter movies. Uh, and I was reading a thing where they were interviewing uh, some Academy members after the Academy showing of this movie, uh, and several of them were already Oscar buzzing it up. Um, really? This this is the uh, Return of the King effect, if anything. Where they're like, well, it's you know we kind of we kind of looked over it. The first two films, so yeah. or, you know the first few films. So now let's let's throw all the Oscars at it. Um, they're like you know now they're they'll give uh, like uh, uh, like Alan Rickman or whatever an award. Uh, he deserves or, it. And you know they, when they do that, what they're like, oh, you know, you want for for Harry Potter Part Two, right? But what they're actually saying, or what they wanted to say, is like, oh, you know, you were great over all these movies. Here's why we waited so long for this, you know? I guess so. Although it would be great if Alan Rickman got an Oscar for Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part <laughs> Two. <laughs> That's... Hey, it would happen. Like, you look at it. It's so weird to see Lord of the Rings Return of the King as a best picture. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you're like, well, there are two more that came before. This is like the, you know, a third part of a series won a one best picture Oscar. Yeah. So. Um, well, I asked you about the theater experience, right? Because I, I had two completely different theater experiences than what we've come to expect uh, and what we've come to talk about on this show. Okay. Uh, after I saw uh, Harry Potter and uh, Captain America, which is on our next podcast uh, this past weekend. Um, I returned to my roots. I went back to my hometown mm-hmm. uh, and uh, playing there in two really old school theaters. Um, and when I say old school, I mean these are probably like some of the last theaters left, Ryan, especially in this area for sure. But perhaps, you know, in the country, there's not many of these left either that are not chain affiliated in any way. Oh, wow. Um, they're pretty much mom and pop run. Both of them are actually nonprofit theaters, too. Uh, they, they're theaters that at one time or another. Not by choice, but. Not by choice. Yeah, they're theaters that at one time or another were shut down. And the community got together and raised enough money to open them back up. Is one of these the beer theater? Uh, one of these is the beer theater. Oh, technically, they're both beer theaters. That's the other thing about non-chain theaters, right? They tend to serve beer. Um, and what, both, what? Uh, both movies I saw were great beer fest movies, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll save... Uh, I'll save. I'll tell you... I'll go ahead and tell you about one. And I'll save the second one for our Captain America podcast coming okay. up next. Okay? Um, well, let me open uh, by talking about uh, uh, the Franklin Cinema. This is in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh... If it sounds slightly familiar to you, you must be an Elizabethtown fan. Uh, Elizabethtown actually had its world premiere here. Uh-huh. Uh, the seats were packed with Orlando Bloom. Uh, <laughs> they were all packed with him? He, was, uh, he had a weight problem back then. Oh, actually. I see. And I, I don't know who else was in that movie. Kirsten Dunst was she in that movie? Uh, sounds familiar. Cameron Crowe, yes, and he directed that movie. Uh, and probably Nancy Wilson, because they were married then, too. So now, now I, could, I can name all sorts of names now. It's uh, not Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. This is a, <laughs> for a movie theater, yeah. Uh, but uh, now you and I kind of grew up seeing Rocky Horror here at Midnight Showing. Yeah, that's what I know it from. Uh, and then um, not only that, it was you know a great theater. It was, it was very, very much so. Like think the Muppet Theater, and you're right on track here. Yeah. Um, 
this was a this reminds me i have to take you to the music box when you're in chicago again it's very similar oh i'd love to go um this is a, a theater that uh, can never last now and didn't last for particular reasons uh one it was like it had its main theater and they had actually like chopped the main theater in half and added a little stamp theater like really is about the size of a postage stamp ride mm-hmm. uh next door uh, that was kind of funny itself, and to do that, they had to lose the balcony of the original theater. Um, and what they did there was they put bathrooms upstairs. Uh, so if you were in any way handicapped or you couldn't climb stairs, you were out of luck as far as the bathroom in the theater. <laughs> do you ever think about that? No, that's funny. Um. Uh. So I don't. Anyway, you and I stopped going. You know, we went to college. We quit attending Rocky Horror. Next thing we know, the theater closes. I think they were getting all their midnight movie money from us, actually. Basically. Uh, well, you know, it was sad, but uh, it'd been there forever. It's a big staple of the community, um, and so through the efforts, they they you know raised enough money to open it back up. All oh, that's beside the point. Uh, quickly though, when they reopened it, uh, they restored it the way it used to be. They got rid of the second theater. They extended the main theater. They reopened the balcony. Super nice and everything, right, Ryan? Yeah. This is like class all the way. All of us felt we were underdressed when we were there for the midnight showing of Caddyshack. Yes. Um, yeah, this is very exciting. I had to go. It was only five dollars beer flowing, right? And this is one of those things where it's like, listen, I'd pay five bucks just to see what this old theater I grew up in looks like now, you know? <laughs> They've ritzed it out. It's incredibly nice. Uh, but, you know, none of that's where I'm going with this, okay? Let, okay. Me, let me talk about the actual experience itself really fast, okay? Yeah. So I get in there, we sit down, and I'm instantly not accustomed to, I, this, is not, this is so weird, right? There's not ads being shown on the screen. There's oh, wow. no weird robot coming out talking about, you know, like setting up the 20 or whatever you want to call this early part of the show. <laughs> like a weird uh, robot comes here. <laughs> Logan, I love you. <laughs> Here's a preview of Captain coming America. Coming up on CBS. Scott then, Bakula's yeah. in another thing. <laughs> the robot says it must be true. Um, and, you know, it's so weird to me. Instead, they were playing what sounded to me to be Frank Sinatra's Grace Hits and projecting old images of what this movie theater used to look like in the 30s and 40s and 50s. <laughs> Pretty great. And I was sitting here in this in the same theater that I'm seeing pictures of, and like uh, seeing like kids sitting in for Saturday matinees in the fifties and everything. And this was already a, like ten times better experience, Ryan, than anything I had before. It was, a, it was a I'm sitting in a not a cineplex. I'm sitting in one cinema. That's all this theater has. Okay, Ryan. Yeah. And I'm ready for this one movie, and I'm, I'm enjoying this. What's on the screen and everything, and this looks like it's going to be awesome. Well, so we're sitting there. And the theater actually fills up really quick. I'd heard that uh, that earlier showings uh, the week weekend before they did uh, Animal House, mm-hmm. also awesome. Right. So one of them, there's this, like, I think I'm in charge of programming at their theater. Yeah, it's uh, like it's whoever. Yeah, during, some yeah. National Lampoon expatriate is apparently running this place. <laughs> during the day, uh, since Caddyshack by night. During the day, they were showing the Sandlot, so I'm definitely in charge of things over there. <laughs> the this is not just a big fuck, but new theater is just open. Awesome. Um, Anyway, uh, so, yeah, the show's about to start. Theater's getting packed and everything. Everyone's kind of, like, mumbling. No, super loud. Like I said, everyone kind of, I think we weren't the only ones who felt underdressed. This is super nice. Uh, Frank Sinatra's, you know, singing to us. Well, that cuts off. The mumble kind of dies down a bit. And I hear a guy who comes out. He's like, oh, welcome to the Franklin Cinema. And I'm like, oh, this is recording. I turn around. This guy's walking down the aisle with a microphone, Ryan. <laughs> this is what you can do when you only have, like, two theaters. Exactly. Right, right. This is it's just one theater now. That's all it is. So he comes down the front of the microphone, and he makes Caddyshack references, like, all around. He's talking about how, uh, how excited he is to see the theater full. Um, he's like, and here's a preview of our next Midnight movie. And he actually, uh, yeah, it's a line from Days and Confused, and I was excited. I knew it and everything. And right. I was like, oh, it's Days and Confused. I'm Logan. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm <laughs> Logan. Hey. <laughs> Look at me. Um, but, okay, he gives this big spill. This is, like, a nice, super personal experience and everything, right? 
And then after that, he he stops for a second, and behind him, a huge projection comes up, this thing about turning off cell phones. And he's actually there, you know, with the mic, and he's telling people, make sure your cell phones are turned off and everything, and this is a big part of the experience. And the only light that they want to be able to see is the light coming from the screen. Right. And, Ryan, when you have someone in your theater walking up and down the aisles next to you on a microphone saying this, everyone's so scared they turn the freaking phone off. <laughs> this is exactly what we need. And, you know, granted, like, this, I guess this goes back to hiring some ushers, you know? Yeah, that's uh, the big thing. No one's going to do this, but now I'm, I'm thinking that I see how, uh, we were talking about how the uh, the Alamo Draft House does this. I'm thinking this might be the way they do it, too, to enforce it. Because um, you bring out one guy who works at the theater, kind of a big guy who tells you to do this, you're going to do it, you know? It's the, what, beforehand at, you know, the Carmichael Regal that I'm running down to, uh, the chain theater, they're, they're projecting stuff on the phone about how I should, how I should uh, text Sprint to see the latest trailer. Yeah. Like, they're telling me to use my phone, if anything. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing, no big announcement about turning off my phone. So. Well, this is interesting because I actually hadn't thought about it, but maybe this is actually the future. Maybe because you know my theory is that you know in in a in maybe maybe not tomorrow, but in our lifetimes we'll see a, a great decrease in number of theaters and theater importance because I think a lot of that's going to move to the home. I could be completely wrong, but I think that the it'll become the norm to watch new movies at your house. Um, but if there is less emphasis on big theater chains and there's no money for big companies there, then we might see fewer theaters, yes, but all these theaters could be little independent theaters like this that just run these old school experiences that everybody loves. Because it would be the real well, people who really love movies running them. That's exactly right. And Ryan, my, uh, the second part of my experience, which I'll share in the next show, show proves you right, oh. that there's currently a big backlash going on, um, and, and I'll just say in America, at least in, in the few cities I you know hop around in. Uh, that right. you're right about this, um, which I am very excited about. We'll we'll continue that next. But meanwhile, uh, seeing Kaishak in the theater, and this is actually the second time I've seen it in theaters. I've I've seen it here in the in the current city I live in. But it was me, like my current girlfriend at the time, and then like like two other people, and no one. You know, there's really no, not much laughter or anything. Sure. But this time, right, it was it was great. I I got to hear what everyone was laughing. At. I got to see what jokes really work in Kaishak. Um, and what don't my one quick last thing about the theater? Uh, you know, we were all boozing it up, right? So we're like, oh, time for the bathroom. Well, you go out to in the hall to use the bathroom, and in the hall and in the bathroom itself, Ryan, over the speakers, you can hear the movie. Right. And the reason they can do that is because there's only one cinema. So why wouldn't they do that? That itself is awesome because I feel like I'm not missing any of the movie whatsoever. Well, I that that is amazing. I wish every theater was like that, and I would be much more excited to go to, to go to the theater. I agree. Also, only nine bucks for a popcorn drink candy combo. Who could say no? That's a pretty good deal. That's a pretty good deal. Anyway, uh, that's uh, Harry Potter and Logan's experience, uh, theater, our non-bad uh, theater experience part one. We hardly ever share, like, good ones. Yeah. Um, so this was a good one. Uh, so criticalin.com, Twitter, iTunes, and... Facebook. Facebook. Uh, you know, speaking of Facebook, uh, Facebook and criticalin.com, and even iTunes if you want to. Uh, share some more. It's not too late to share your episode 100 stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's something we can still fit in in our busy episode 100 schedule, then we will do it. To remind people, uh, we are, we will be spending episode 100 reviewing things that aren't movies or television shows, going against what we normally do. So if you have anything you want us to review, whether it be a a product, uh, some sort of live performance, a vague a vague concept, what's a vague concept we could review, Logan? Give an example. Um, a vague concept is Logan's speech pattern. Logan's speech pattern, uh, which we all have our own opinions about. Uh, Email your suggestions in to us uh, using criticalend.com's email form or Facebook or Twitter or any of those methods, and uh, we'll try to add to the list and talk about it in our big 100th episode extravaganza. Sounds great. Well, we're getting there really quick. Uh, we have uh, 97 coming up? 97, 98. Yes, yeah, this is 97. Yeah, we have 98 coming up, Captain America, as we've mentioned before. 
Um, so I guess stick around for that. Is that coming out the same week or is that next week? Uh, that's coming out, I don't know. Is this going to be Friday? Hold on, let's see, hold on. Uh, yeah, if you put this up Friday, that means they'll get that Monday when you post again. I'm not sure if I'm going to... I will try to do that. Well, it'll be... I, I think it's about the same week. Then. If it's not Monday, then, if it's not Friday, it'll be Monday, Yeah. Tuesday, Monday, Wednesday. Yeah. Monday, Wednesday. All right, cool. Uh, yes, exactly. So awesome. within very soon time frames of each other. And then 99 is Cowboys and Aliens, and then 100th episode. That's right. Yay. Yay. Yeah. Um, all right, and actually, I have a, a theater experience story, but I will save that because it actually happened during uh, Captain America. I will save that for our next show. Cool. Okay. All sorts of theater experience stories. Way to pad these episodes. Hells yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll see, you, I'll see you for the next padded episode, Ryan. Hey, you can pad me anytime. Yeah, let's go ahead and do that here. Oh, no, this wasn't the right time. And a little here on the hairy side. <laughs>